Um, so I finished off my last series um, about identity, and then this is just a solo message, sort of ties into with it, and then I'll be starting my new series all on cloud of witnesses, uh, all the people that have gone before us and can shed examples for us. Um, that's what the Bible's all about. It's about stories of God relating to people in the Bible and how we can glean from it and how we can get information from it and how we can get encouragement and wisdom from it. I don't, now everyone knows what a whiteboard marker is and a whiteboard. Um, and if you ever made the, the fateful mistake of using a whiteboard with a permanent marker before you've used it, realised it was a permanent marker, you're writing something on there and realise, oh, drat, it's a permanent marker. The good thing is, obviously, you can remove it, but the hassle of sometimes trying to find a, a whiteboard marker for a, for a whiteboard and finding that permanent marker. I, I've done it many times, and it's, most, it's one of the most frustrating things to do. And what do you do? You just keep going, don't you? I'll wipe it off later. I'll work it out. But um, today, I want to talk about the, the permanent things in your life, the non-negotiables. What is it that you have placed in your life, put in your life, that you will not move from? Just like a whiteboard marker, you obviously have to get a different, completely different product to move it, but what are the things in your life that you cannot remove? The things that you have placed in your life, the values, the ethics, the morality, whatever else it is that you will not move from. I know Melinda and I, we, we, when we first got married, all those years ago. We spent a lot of time talking and, and uh, talking about how we were going to raise our children, talking about our values and what we believed. We had talked a lot about that before we got married. Um, but then we extended those conversations and we, we worked out and we had negotiations and, and discussions and sometimes it was a bit more like a hostile takeover um, about what we believed. What were our non-negotiables? What were we not going to give up? What were we going to hold on to? Uh, that's really important, obviously, in, in children's lives because stability provides a safe haven for them to grow and develop. Uh, there's lots of different programs that you can look at and, and different things. I've been opened up to a whole new world of education, being, being involved with Queensland Education. I'm not a teacher. I don't work for Queensland Education, but having avenues with Queensland Education on different programs that they run. And it's important to understand that we, as parents, need to actually build a safe haven for our children and for our children's children when they come and for families and for friends. But what are your non-negotiables? What are the things that you will not move from? There's a lot of things that have happened, a lot of uh, talks and a lot of discussions that have happened within society that have challenged what should be our non-negotiables. I was a little bit shocked on a couple of things that have happened over the last few years, over what should have been a simplified concept that should be within, in, within Christians today, which obviously we're not. And it's because we've... Let me put this. We've been negotiable on our non-negotiables. We have a value system, Melinda and I, we believe certain things, we hold to certain things, and we don't move from certain things. Our children know that we do not move from them, 
and they will test you. If you don't know, the children will find the boundaries and then learn to see if they can push the boundaries. And then they'll come back and they'll see if they can push the boundaries. And then they have this really good knack of going to mum and asking and getting whatever answer that obviously was not working and then go to dad and asking to see if the boundaries the parents have set up are exactly the same. Our children do it all the time. And we have to be non-negotiable on certain boundaries that we've set up. Because if my children learn that my wife is a little bit more easy on one and I'm a little bit harder on this and she's harder on this one and I'm easy on this, they begin to push depending on who they need to go to. And if a child can find out where your boundaries are, you will actually reveal them eventually anyway, depending on what happens in your life. There have been certain things that we've actually had to be so staunch in, had to stand so strong on, it doesn't matter what had taken place, that has cost us. I know um, we, we, we hold to the fact that church is important, not just because I'm the pastor, but because it's always been a value system that we've had implanted in our lives. Mel and I have both grown... Well, Mel grew up in a Christian family and I had beginnings in a Christian family and then they went all chaos. And so we, we had certain values that were put in our lives and certain things that we had to agree to that were non-negotiable. This is what we do. Now, I can guarantee... There are certain things, if you ever need to find us, that you will always find us in certain places. On a Sunday morning, we will always be found in church. That is a non-negotiable for us. It is a non-negotiable for their children. Our children have been blessed because they have obviously learned to enjoy church, but that is straight out non-negotiable. And it's because we believe in, in having fellowship with other believers and being encouraged by other believers and turning up and being connected. Now it just happens that we, we started a church and that sort of flows in with our value system. But it's something that we will not move from. When I had my accident, I was at church the next week. When we have, we've gone through uh, different situations and trials, we don't move. Our family have tested us. I have some family members who are not believers um, and, and they have organised certain events. You know, family catches up and it seems to be on Sunday mornings and, and we're just like, you know what, we'll get there after 12. Boom, that's straight it. You will not move us on that. We have certain other value system of where we, what we do with our money. We have certain other value systems that we don't spoil our children rotten. Right? But we look for needs. We have other value systems that we care and love people. If you really need a hand, we'll give you a hand. But we have non-negotiables. We have things that we build and we have things that are temporary and we have things that are permanent. And sometimes in life, unless you're tested, you don't know which one is which. But I want to talk about a man that's well known. His name is Abraham. And in the book of Genesis, chapter 12, it says, From there he moved onto the hill country east of Bethel and pitched his tent. With Bethel on the west and Ally on the east, he built an altar 
to Yahweh there and he called on the name of Yahweh. There's two words that I want to pull out. The word pitched and the word build. Abraham pitched his tent but built his altar. Now if you didn't know, Abraham was not a Jew. He was not a Hebrew. He was a Chaldean from Ur. And he had a relationship with God and God established a relationship with him. He was called the father of nations. But he was nomadic, which means he travelled. He moved from one place to another place to another place. They lived in tents. They would pack up all their belongings and move to the next place, depending on which season was when. They would have certain livestock, certain belongings. They would dig certain wells in different areas and when it was time, when that season was over, they would pack up and move on. And they would, trans, uh, they would transport all their stuff and they would find a new place and start to pitch their tent and they would build up their dwellings. They would have to dig another well if they hadn't been there before and they would find certain things that they needed. They would be looking for grass for their, their livestock, for their grazing, their food. But this is how Abraham lived. He would move, transport from one place to the next place when needed, depending on which season was taking place in his life. We all know that his name before Abraham was Abram, and God changed it to full Abraham, the father of many nations. Abraham lived in the desert, in the wilderness, the place where there wasn't much water, so if there was a creek, there was a blessing, but otherwise they would dig wells. And when they would dig a well, they would stone it from the inside and then when it needed, they would move on. And if they came back to that season, there was another, there was a well already there. There's a scenario that happens that Abraham and his, his cousin Lot used to travel together. Families used to travel together. So it wasn't like just four of you or just five of you or just six of you or seven of you. You would travel with your extended family, your brothers, your sisters, your cousins, your aunties. And so Abraham travelled with his cousin Lot. And at one point in time in Genesis 13, they come to this place and it's not got enough substance for them to look after both of them. So they decide to split. And Abraham gives Lot the choice and Lot chooses over this side because the plains were grassy and the plains had water. And this is where he chose where Sodom and Gomorrah was. I'm just giving you a bit of history to come back. All right. And Abraham chose to live over this area. Because they're obviously their livestock, their shepherds and the people who tended their animals were having fights and arguments over what was taking place. Everything they had had purpose. They chose certain animals because of their durability. You didn't choose a horse, you chose a camel. Horses can carry stuff, so they can camels, but horses need more water than a camel does. You can also get product from camel. You can, you can eat camel cheese and drink camel milk. That doesn't sound very exciting, but you can also eat camel. Right? Horses, you can't drink horse milk. Um, I suppose you can eat one if you really needed to, but it wasn't one of those things that you would normally do. So you would start to look for certain animals that you needed to look after yourself. You would have goats rather than sheep. Goats, goat's milk, 
goat's cheese, you can eat goat. So everything began to have a purpose. Everything had, a, uh, had to be durable, but it had, had to be sustainable as well. You would herd your goats and look after your goats, make sure they're well fed, and when you needed meat, go one. You would look after camels, and camels were good for riding, and camels were good for transporting your belongings. But everything had a purpose. Because they were living in the desert. They were living in a place called the wilderness. And they would travel in the wilderness from one place to the next. And when you live like that nomadically, when you live where you have to be sustainable, you start to work out what is valuable. You start to work out what you should have and what you shouldn't have. You don't need a laptop unless you have solar power, unless you can get Wi-Fi and you can email somebody. You just wouldn't need it. You wouldn't need certain other things. You don't need to build a house because you're nomadic. You're going to transport. So you'd need a tent that you can roll up, put on the back of a camel and go that way. So you quickly learn what is important and what is not. Sometimes we go through situations, we go through wilderness experience where it seems that we don't have quite enough. Maybe it's financial wilderness and uh, uh, there seems to be more bills than money coming in. And you start working out what truly is important. I, I've We've worked with many people. Well, I remember one time during the, you know, the so-called GFC, Global Financial Crisis, we had a few families that were really struggling and we would go and visit them and I'd be, and I'd be like, walk through the house, turn off the fox cell, disconnect that, disconnect certain other things, work out what's truly important to you, what is, what is vital and what is not, what is temporary and what is permanent in your life. What do you actually need, what can you live without? When you're in a wilderness, when you're in a place of the desert, you begin to learn what is actually important. Okay, I need to put food on my table, but what can I get away with and what can I not? What can I substitute, what can I not substitute? Okay, do we, do we need to, to buy the $3.50 bread or can we get away with the dollar bread? And you begin to learn what is important. You begin to learn that that dollar bread with some spread, tastes no different to the $3 bread. Just somebody put it in a fancier packaging. But everything begins to come down to whether or not it is temporal or permanent. Everything comes down to how important it is for you. You begin to start looking for how to find resources, how to make things better. And when Abraham was in the, in the desert... They begin to search for different things. How do you find water? Because it's not like you can pull out the, the front loader or the backhoe and start digging a well. Or get out the auger bits and start digging a hole. You dug it by hand. So the last thing you want to do is dig a hundred holes in the ground trying to find water. So you begin to learn how to find water. You begin to learn what are the signs that show me there is water under the ground, so I'm not digging a hundred holes, I'm digging one hole. 
Because who wants to dig holes? But you begin to work out certain different things. You begin to look for signs, different seasons, when, understand the different seasons in different areas of the land. When is the rain coming? When is the land not coming? How can I get water as water is extremely important? How can I, how can I build something to carry water? You begin to learn about priorities. You begin to learn what are your non-negotiables. If you lost everything today, everything, what are your non-negotiables? What would you have? If you had to rebuild and work out, okay, we've got this much money, but we can only afford certain things, what are we actually going to get? What are your non-negotiables? What are the things that would be there if you lost everything that you could still survive? Could you trade this in and do this? In a lot of ways, we're still so nomadic. We don't move as much as they did, but we're so transient. People change jobs like there's no tomorrow. People move houses and, and work out, oh, I don't like this place, I do this place, just on surface observations. People are transient even in churches these days. They move from one church to the next, depending on what day of the week it is. And so in a lot of ways, we're so, we're so nomadic. When really, we, we need to find out what are our non-negotiables, what are our permanent things in life, what are our transient things and what are our permanent things, what are our non-negotiable, what is vital to our survival, what is it I cannot live without? Abraham pitched his tent, which means he put up his tent. And they didn't live in these um, little dome tents that we have now that take a couple of minutes to put up, right? And if you get one of the really fancy ones, you just take it out of the bag and it's up, right? Or when I was a kid, you'd get out those those canvas tents that took you three hours, three days to actually put up and there was more fights in it of, of what to do and it weighed 300 odd kilos and took up half the car just to have the tent, right? But they built their own tents. Do you remember Paul was a tent maker? So they built tents and they built them exactly how they wanted to or how they needed them. But Abraham pitched his tent, which means it was temporary. His dwelling place was temporary. He would move from one place to the next place, whatever was needed, depending on the season. If it didn't rain, if they needed more substance, they would, okay, right, it's time to go. We'd pack up our stuff, chuck it on the camel. Right? If you're lucky in those days, you've got two horsepower camel. And you'd move down the road or move into a different area. And the stories in Genesis of Abraham are... are are actually of him transporting different areas. You read in one area, he's in this place, and one read, he's in this place. And then his descendants come up, and he sends his other descendants over here, and he's moving his other descendants over here to get brides and whatever to mix into. But Abraham pitched his tent. It was temporary. In that passage of Scripture, we read that Abraham built his altar. 
Now the altar represented where they'd sacrifice. They would take out a, a nice little lamby, place it on the altar, and do what they needed to do and, and, and sacrifice it to God. But it represented relationship with God. Abraham pitched his tent, but he built his relationship. We read in the story of where Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac, his only son, and they walked from where they were to a place, in, a place called Mount Moriah because Abraham had built his altar at Mount Moriah. And so when he needed to sacrifice, he, trans, he, he transported whatever he needed to where his altar was. His altar did not move. It wasn't one of those things, that, all right, let's pack up the rocks, because that's what an altar was made out of, rocks. It was permanent. He built his altar. And like I said, his altar represented his relationship with God. He pitched where he lived, which was temporary, but he built his relationship. It's, it's interesting today. We, we don't comprehend a lot of what the Bible actually means to us. We don't read it as how it's written. We misunderstand so much because we're actually reading it in, the, in our own English. And the thing about the Bible was it was never actually written for us, but we can glean so much from it. Moses actually wrote the first five books of the Bible. And he wrote them because he was told by his relatives what had transpired. Moses had heard the stories of Adam and Eve and what had happened, creation, the first fall, um, Cain and Abel, Seth. He had learned from what they had experienced and passed down through generation to generation to generation. They learnt what was important because they built their relationship. Their relationship with God wasn't this, oh, I'll do it on Sundays. Their relationship with God wasn't, when I need him, I'll call. When I need him, I'll pray. When I need him, I'll read. They spent time building their altar, knowing that it was always going to be there. And whenever they needed to reconnect through sacrifice, they would go back to their altar. But Abraham understood the difference between what was temporal and what was permanent. We read of different stories of when the Israelites crossed the Red Sea after coming out of Egypt and they were told to grab a stone from every, that represented every tribe of Israel and build a pillar. And the Bible says at the very end of it, and it says, it, and it's still there today. And whether or not it is, I don't know. But it was a representation that they built a reminder of what God had done in their lives. 
that God had parted the Red Sea and saved them from their enemy. And so they wanted to remind themselves that whoever crossed this path remembered what was permanent because God saved them. We spend so much time in the temporal and we often forget what is truly, truly important, the non-negotiables. We often look at things that are not important and think they are important. If my kids don't have the latest shoes or the latest clothing, it doesn't matter. Mind you, it's, it's, we were talking about this with someone yesterday. It's kind of pointless in buying expensive shoes for them because if they last six weeks, that's good. Their feet grow so fast, there's no point in spending big money on shoes or clothing. But learning what is temporal and what is important. It's more important that my children actually have a relationship with God than have the latest gaming console or the latest iPad or iPhone or whatever else. I would be interested, I, I, I'm not old fashioned, but I, I still don't understand why, why certain things happen, why teenagers go to. I mean, I was reading a report that uh, in high school they, they, they have to find ways to get the kids to get off their phones. Um, I don't understand why a 15 year old needs a phone but, when they're at school, but that's my opinion. But today, I'm really, I'm really a little bit concerned because we're teaching our children some weird concepts of what it means to be in a relationship. I've seen people sit next to each other, texting each other. It's like, why don't you turn and say hello? We seem to be more confident with Facebook. You know, you've all seen them, the, the keyboard warriors, as they're nicknamed. They have this boldness when they're on the keyboard, but you get them in person and they've got nothing. So we, we have this, all this strength and this ability in our temporal, but we forget what's really permanent is the connections of relationships, friendships, connections. What we actually need to do is we need to work out what on earth we're pitching in our lives and what are we building. Melinda and I sat down before the kids were born, before we were married, after the kids were born. We do it on a regular basis. Every so often it keeps coming up and we talk about where are we going? What do we want to do? What are our plans? Because a lot of our plans are not just for us. We're actually trying to build, we're actually trying to establish what's called legacy. I came from a broken home. And so one of the things that I want to implant in my children is that I love their mother and that I will not move and I will not leave them. That our relationship is solid. So why will then put certain things in practice to make sure that our relationship is good? Now, sometimes it always goes through those tenuous times when it's a little bit strained. Right? The stress is the busy of life. But we've got to keep coming back to that place because, you know what, this relationship is important because my children benefit from our relationship. It is a non-negotiable. I've already told my wife that if for any reason she decides to leave me, I will become a stalker. 
Um, you'll never be at a date again. Oh, freak, no. Not that it'll ever happen. But I will be in my children's life, regardless of what takes place. It is a non-negotiable. We are doing certain things. We, we, we're developing certain things. We're putting things into practice in order to benefit 10, 20, 30 years' times. There's certain things we've done on our house. We're actually... This would be odd. I'm doing our house, we're doing our house up slowly to sell it in five, years, five or six years' time. That's one of the reasons that so Melinda likes I don't want to do up the house and then have to sell it and not enjoy what we've done to it. So we're doing certain things up for future. Our house was always built as a stepping stone to the next one to give our children a better opportunity down in the future to present them with things that we never actually got opportunity to. We put things in place understanding the value, what is permanent and what is temporary. We teach our children certain value systems, say, you don't do this, you don't do that. We spend time with them. We speak into their lives. We develop their relationship with God. If you look at it, I don't know, it's here. My son's Bible, it's highlighted. He highlighted it even before he could read it. Right? And he highlighted it because that's what Dad does. And so I was teaching him without actually teaching him, just by having certain standards and having things that are my life that are permanent. See, I read the Bible every day. In the morning, you can find me at some point in time, and I've got my Bible open and I am reading And I read the Bible, and I spend time with God, and I spend time building a relationship with Him. I spend talking to Him. I pray. I got a list on my phone. I can show you. It's it's my prayer list. I began to realize that during my prayer times, I was forgetting lots of things. So I started writing them down. And it's got pages and pages of different things that I pray for, different people I pray for, different things for that and this. But these are my non-negotiables. Because I'm developing my relationship with God. I'm building my relationship with God. See, my house, at the end of the day, is only temporal. If I lost my house, as long as I still have my relationship with God, then I'm, I'm good. I have a five-fold priority list. God is number one. My relationship with God is number one. That is not my ministry. That is my relationship with God. That doesn't move, that doesn't change. You will not change me. I will die for it. I already told my wife before we got married, that is my ultimate way to go as a martyr. It freaked her out. Okay? I can see nothing better. If I could go that way, that would be awesome. Doing what I'm supposed to. My non-negotiable is my relationship with God. My number two is my wife. My relationship with my wife. Why? Because I'm in covenant with her. That does not include my children. That includes my wife and my wife only. My third, my number three, is my children. My number four is my job. My ability to um, provide for my family. And number five is my ministry. That is how I sit there and that's how I work. That's how I live. That's how I practice. They are my non-negotiables. 
I know one day my children will move out of home. They will not be my responsibility to provide for them anymore. So things will do a very shuffle. But my first and my two will never move. But my first is a non-negotiable. I build my relationship. I don't pitch it. I don't pitch it on a Sunday to make it look good, don't put a face on. Look at me. I build my relationship, which is conscious thought of what it actually means. I'm developing my relationship and my children see me. They know me when I'm sitting on the couch in the morning with my Bible open. Don't bother Dad. And for that time where I'm in my Bible, you're not going to get too much out of me. Then there's other times during the day that I'll be reading, I'll be studying, I'll be praying. But I'm building my relationship. It does not move. It does not waver. I will not let it go. Because I understand the difference of not having my relationship with God and I understand the difference of what it means to not have a relationship and to be in a relationship with God. I walked away from God for, well, depends on your theology on that, I suppose. But I tried to run away from God for a long period of time. And it does not work. It's like running on a treadmill and someone's standing right behind you. It's pointless. And I know what it's like to do things by yourself. And I know what it's like to do things with a God and with a helpmate, which is what my wife is. She is my helpmate. She doesn't stand behind me. She stands beside me. They are my non-negotiables. There are certain values and principles that we put in place that are non-negotiables. One of those is this. This is a non-negotiable for me. I read this Bible and I understand the principles that God has placed in it are to better my life. But it's also to develop my relationship with my God. It is a non-negotiable. If you want to challenge me on the Bible, be my guest. But it is a non-negotiable in my life. If I don't live something in the Bible and I read it, I've got to change my life in accordance with what the Word says. It's not the other way around. I don't change my translation of the Bible based upon how I need it to feel or make me feel about my life. I change my life according to how the Bible says. If that makes sense to you. It is a non-negotiable. In a world where it is so turgible, that's a new word I created, okay? In a world that is so up and down and so transient, there needs to be someone who can stand up with morality. There needs to be someone who can stand up with value systems. There needs to be somebody who can say, you know what, I have non-negotiables. We're coming to the close of today. There are so many things happening within society. There's so many challenges in life. There's so many different directions you can be pulled in. Society says one thing. In the end of the day, you have to work out what you're going to hold on to. The way society works these days is it tries to pull on emotional heartstrings. 
bring connections and tries to challenge what you believe based upon emotions and both personal connections. I don't agree with abortion. I don't agree with taking someone's life, especially when they're innocent. I always find it interesting that everyone who stands up for abortion rights or pro-life, yeah, pro-life? I always get confused, right? The people who agree with abortion, they've already been born. But abortion for me is a non-negotiable. I don't see why it is acceptable to take a life. Especially one that is completely innocent in the womb. Now there are certain instances and I've had discussions with people over different scenarios that take place which make the position very challenging. Especially when it is to deal with the life and death of a mother that's carrying the child. And quite often they'll use what they call situational ethics in order to sway your point of view. But what happens if this? What happens if that? And what's that? Well, what ifs? I mean, there are so many what ifs these days, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's hard to actually grab hold of what if, what if because it, it may not have happened, it may might happen. You see, I, I value life. Some of that became because I almost lost mine. But life is important. And life is valuable. And life should be a non-negotiable. I don't use the word life as some little phrase. I use the word life as what it should be named in the Hebrew, which is called Zoe. Which it means, the easiest way to put it is this, it's life as God knows it. See, when God, when God sent his son to die for you, he came to bring life and life more abundantly. And it was life as God knows it. It was basically saying, I came to bring you relationship and connection to the Father like you've never known it. I value life. It's important. And society will tell you it's not. Society will tell you your life is only as important as the value you give or the value you have. The possessions that you own, what a load of hogwash. Your value doesn't change depending on what car you drive. It does not change depending on what clothes you wear. It all depends on whose you are. And see, you were bought at a price by Jesus dying on the cross for you. So there's your value. See, the Christ doesn't speak about anything else but value. That God loved you so, so much that he would send his only begotten son to die in one of the worst worlds even imaginable for you. Even before you knew him, even before you were so-called saved, even before you could read, even before your existence, he died for you. That's over 2,000 years ago he died for you. That speaks of value. You have value. 
And where the lines get crossed is we misunderstand the value that we actually have because we're so chasing after the temporal that we've missed the permanent. But we get opportunity to readjust and work out what is actually permanent and what should be temporal in our lives and readjust who we really are. I remember the day when I came back to it. I've said it a few times in here. I was driving in my car, coming home from work. It's roughly about between Helensville North and Helensville South exit, coming northbound on the freeway. And feeling God's hand on my shoulder and him saying the simple words as I have a purpose for you. That might seem odd to you, but for someone who didn't actually have a purpose in life beyond existing, it spoke to me. And I can tell you that since that day until this, I have gone on my ups and downs, my roller coaster. I have been challenged, I have cried, I have laughed, I have done all the fun things that happen with relationships. I've had to give up things, I've lost things. But in that journey, I have learnt through the wilderness, through the desert places, I have learnt what are non negotiables. I have learnt what is truly important. That doesn't mean that I won't go through struggles and I won't be challenged. It just might mean that I'll have other non-negotiables that'll come into place or things that I might need to adjust between the permanent and the temporal. Because God is building our relationship with me. He is developing our relationship together. And he is cementing the non-negotiables. And it simply comes down to, I want it. I am choosing to chase after him and therefore he draws near to me. We're going to finish up in a word of prayer and then we've got morning tea and there's tea and coffee. I do ask you to you know, stay a while, get to know us. If you haven't filled in a visitor card, make sure you fill in a visit card. We'd love to keep record of your visit and try and catch up with you. Um... Otherwise, you know, we're here every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Toilets around the side. Like I said, there's tea and coffee, morning teas, a whole bunch of stuff. Say a while, say hello to someone, but we'll pray and we'll close the meeting now. Got a bit over time, but it's okay. Father, I want to thank you for your word. And I want to thank you that you love each and every one of us. That you have a plan and a purpose for us. And you have given us value. And whether we know it or not, there is value in whose we are. And we are yours. So Father, I speak life into the plans and purposes you have for your people. That we would begin to understand what is temporal in our life and what is permanent. What are our non-negotiables, Father? 
And when the storm comes, the Father will not wash us away. What are we going to be bedrocked into? So, Father, I speak your blessings and your favor upon each one of us. A greater depth of revelation and a greater depth of relationship with you. Bless us this week. Guide us and direct us in all that we do. Let our, whatever our hand touch be blessed. Let us walk in your favor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.